1: welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host Matt here with me. Unfortunately, we are coming off a rough Jets loss following week 3, 27-12 to to the Cincinnati Bengals. The happiness and hope of week Two's improbable comeback win over the Browns was very short-lived, and unfortunately, again, Matt, our worst fears came true, and that the Jets came out sleepwalking and had another tough loss where they looked completely outmatched against an 0-2 team that they matched up really well with. We got to get into that a little bit. It is decent far into the week. We have a new quarterback starting for the Jets this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, so we got a lot to talk about. Let's get right into it with Cincinnati. What was your biggest takeaway from this game in terms of where they can improve, and what was your biggest takeaway in terms of what
0: they did well? Yeah, well, it's about what they did wrong, I think that's most of the, the game and what we're going to focus on here. Uh, we talked about how, how this team going forward needs to prove that they can stack wins, that they can deal with success, and they did not. They came out flat. Uh, they came out unprepared, uh, and they it seemed like they didn't really understand their opponent very much. Uh, we have Burrow, who's made a career behind bad offensive lines behind not uh, really having clear passing lanes and being under pressure constantly. Uh, His offensive line has not been his friend. And what we did a lot, to be honest is blitz a lot more than we usually do. Uh, That's usually not our MO is blitzing. And we did a lot of blitzing and this bothered me because if you have a quarterback that's made it to the Super Bowl behind a line that's always forcing him to pass under pressure, blitzing, I feel like isn't gonna phase him that much. And it didn't. And it all it did was clear out the, the coverage lanes and the, his passing lanes. And uh he was able to dice us up for a good amount. And again, the tackling, just all-around tackling is just horrible. Uh, between uh our safety is just bouncing off of receivers and not yeah, wrapping Whitehead, up. Whitehead had a, a, Whitehead. a oh.
1: egregious miss tackle that led to a big touchdown. That was uh, – Robert Sala said, you know, it, it's just not wrapping up. And he's just in the most classic way possible through his shoulder. It uh, wasn't anything more than that. Just come downhill as fast as I can and try and knock out. I believe it was Tyler Boyd um, yeah, yes. that over the middle and he just whiffed and missed him because he wasn't trying to make a clean hit. And like Sala said, you can make the big hit and wrap up. And that's what, where whitehead really needs to improve.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something I look at when I uh, look at prospects as well. It's like, are these guys just throwing their bodies at receivers and hoping that they That they knock him down or are they actually using some kind of technique to actually bring these receivers down to limit any kind of damage? Uh, And, yeah, he looked very unprepared for uh, the matchup that he was going up against. They have Boyd is not a small wide receiver. Uh, Throwing your body at, at big receivers doesn't always work. In fact, it probably doesn't work more often than not against big receivers like that. Uh so yeah, technique. I want to see more technique going forward. Uh I didn't see a lot of it. Uh and then just overall just knowing your opponent and uh not blitzing a quarterback that does well while being blitzed. That's that that bothered me a lot. Now onto what looked good. Well, let's see what looked good. <laughs> Not a lot. Uh, Not a lot looked good at all. Uh, The offense seemed like it was mostly stalled all day. They were held to just field goals. Uh, Not being able to put the ball in the end zone is never a good thing. And it's never going to lead to success, especially against good offenses like the Bengals. Uh, And then we're going to be facing a lot more offenses that are very good and will put up points. So scoring field goals will not do it. Uh, I think that there was a lack of using the talent that we have. I, I, I know Wilson went down with an injury in the middle of the game and that hurt. It seemed like after that, our offense didn't really know what to do. Like they never played before with the guys that they had. Uh, it seemed like everybody was out of sorts either. Uh, they weren't getting open or Flacco is just missing them. Uh, it's just a combination of everything. And as a result, the offense suffered. There, It, it was just a mess all around. Uh, hey, at least the special teams look good. The special teams did look good for a second week in a row. Um, I'm going to start
1: in reverse order, uh, and I'm going to start with the couple of positives that I have before I get into the real main negatives, because I think it's a good way to transition into next week against Pittsburgh. But starting out on the positive side, you're right. Special teams did play well uh, for the second week in a row. I think didn't have any awful shanks by Braden Mann. I'm pretty sure Zerline was perfect on kicks. You know, can't really ask for much more than that. Didn't have too many bad returns allowed, from what I remember. You know, seemed overall like a solid day. I know Berrios had a decision to take one out of the end zone That was a pretty bad decision that ended with him getting tackled at about the 15 outside of that. That's really all you can say negative about special teams unit. On top of that, Max Mitchell, I thought had an awesome game on the right side. The offensive line as a whole did not play well, specifically the left side of Fant and Lincoln Tomlinson, the now usual suspects after three weeks. But I thought Mitchell played really, really solid on the right side. I thought this was his best game so far. And I think if he continues this trajectory and, continues the growth that he's showing, I think he's going to really compete for a starting job next year. I think there's a good chance that the Jets might feel pretty confident about him going forward, and he might have the inside track to the starting right tackle job going into 2023. So I think that's definitely a positive. And another positive that I had, quite honestly, not this is where you have to pick and choose and not everything is perfect. Jeff Ulbrich honestly was a positive for me. Because what they did on early downs, I thought worked really well. They were consistently getting the Bengals uh, run game slowed down. I think Mixon averaged like 2.8 yards a carry or something for the day. He really didn't have anywhere to go in the run game. They were forcing a lot of third and longs. The Bengals had three first uh, third and long conversions on their first drive of the game that were at least third and eight or longer that were surrendered by the Jets. That's not a good thing that they were surrendered. And I'm going to get into criticizing Ulbrich on third down in a minute, but I thought his first and second down defenses were really solid. And on top of that, I thought the Jets did a good job of something we've been begging for them to do for a long time, Matt, and that's disguised their coverage. They showed too high a lot pre-snap, and they were trying to get the Bengals into thinking, okay, every team that has played us knows that they play Tampa two and they shut us down on offense. So we're we're playing the jets. They're a single high team. They play a lot of cover three and cover one. Are they going to change and play Tampa two? And they come out and they show too high. Like they are going to change and they align in a Tampa two pre-snap and would rotate to a cover three, or they would bring a safety down at the last second and switch their positions. And I thought that, help them one it helps in the run fit because if you have your two safeties back then they're not going to get accounted for pre-snap and if you creep one down at the last second you get a free man in the fit on top of that you're giving burrow an extra second to hitch you're leading to potential calls for a cover two defense that are going to work nowhere near as well against a cover three defense so i thought their early down defense as a whole was a really positive thing i thought there was some improvement and there has to be note of that going into the future that said there was a lot that went wrong and a lot more that went wrong than what went right. Keeping things with Ulbrich, why are you blitzing so much on third down? Like you said, Matt, I think that is the, the number one problem with this defensive game plan, where, as you were already talking about, Burrow has proven time and time again that he is a killer against teams that blitz him that if you try and pressure him and if you try and come after him, that he will make you pay every single time. And that's what we saw against the Bengals where there was one in particular. Again, I go back to the first drive and I covered this play on a piece. I just did on the Jets schemes that came out on Jets X factor yesterday, but it's third and eight Tyler Boyd is lined up in the the slot. The Bengals have a three by one to the right. And after Boyd motions inside, there's nobody covering him. It looks like in the middle of the field, you got to, What looks like a cover one blitz look coming from the Jets. CJ Mosley in the middle mugging as a linebacker lined up over the center. And he drops out to potentially pick up Boyd over the middle and bait Burrow into a bad throw, thinking that there's going to be no one covering him. Well, the Bengals are smarter than that. And so is Joe Burrow. And he's going to say, "Okay, you're never going to leave my one of my top receivers uncovered on third and eight over the middle on purpose. So unless some crazy, funky stuff is going on here, one of these linebackers is probably going to drop out and that inside route's not going to be open on top of that. Boyd was never even running an inside route, so it didn't matter if the linebacker dropped. He's running a deep out route. The Bengals have a little uh, stick concept to the right called, and Boyd's going to be wide open whether Mosley drops to cover him or not because of the leverage advantage he's going to have coming from the tight slot and Mosley coming from lined up over the center. And it's a 19-yard conversion on third down. Things like that. If you want to confuse Joe Burrow, I'm here for it. It's you know easier said than done, of course but go ahead, take your shots, try and steal some interceptions. Don't just let him pick you apart for free. That said, putting CJ Mosley on an island on Tyler Boyd on third and eight with <laughs> ridiculous inside leverage where Boyd runs quite literally anything other than a slant route and it's an easy conversion, that's just bad play design. That's just bad play calling. And it's calling the wrong play at the right time. I want to see more from Jeff Olbrick from that. Offensively, Good lord! This offensive line needs to improve. Uh, I'm that is my number one point offensively. I think I don't care who you are on offense. I don't care what team you're on, what skilled players you have, who your coach is, or anything. If you cannot block, you will not have a successful offense. It doesn't matter. Right now, the the left side of the Jets line can't block to save their lives. George Fant's now on IR. We're Wondering who the starting left tackle is going to be this week. It could be Connor McDermott, which would be a very scary idea. The Jets did sign two offensive tackles the other day in Mike Remmers and Cedric Obwehi, who were both veterans who have bounced around the league. Neither of them are particularly incredible or even to the point of being good. If they were, they wouldn't be available three weeks into the season. This is not an ideal scenario for the offensive line. And if it doesn't improve, I don't know what else they can do to really try and fix things on top of that. This play calling from Michael Floor and the lack of awareness and the attention paid to matchups and exploitable opportunities is crushing this team. The Jets get in fourth and one. Corey Davis is given a nine yard cushion with inside leverage against cover three uh, by Eli Apple on the outside. And all he would have to do is either run a little smoke route where he stands still and waits for the ball as soon as it's snapped or a two step quick out to the sideline where he turns and catches it as soon as Flacco gets the ball off his drop he's going to waltz waltz out of bounds for a first down, not even going to get sniffed on for the first down by at least four or five yards. It's only fourth and one. The Jets have no timeouts. It's the end of the game. Instead, he runs a slant inside. Reese Hall's running an angle route over the middle, no timeouts. The Jets send three of their five receivers over the middle of the field. Ball gets tipped in the air, picked off game over. Bengals kneel down a few plays later. Flacco doesn't even look at Corey Davis to, to even consider. Oh, wow. It's fourth and one that corner is sitting with inside leverage. You have a nine yard cushion. All you have to do is take one step to your outside, turn around, catch the ball. And it's a guaranteed first down. If you break the tackle, you score a 15 year veteran quarterback shouldn't know that. And the fact that he doesn't, and the fact that we, Matt, you and I know from, from what we've heard and what we know about this team and their staff, he didn't pay attention because he's not allowed to change the call anyway. Flacco doesn't have the authority as a 15-year veteran to flash a hand signal to Corey Davis and say, okay, run a smoke wrap and the ball's coming your way right off the bat. You got a nine-yard cushion, it's fourth and one. This is what pro football is. No, he's got to sit there and just call the slant as it was executed, hope that Corey Davis is going to get open. And even though he's going to get tackled in bounds, that they get to the line and can keep trying to call a place to make a comeback. That is that is making the game harder on yourself. And by not letting these guys uh, like, have any sort of autonomy or freedom to adjust what is happening in front of them when they can see it better than these coaches can is killing their play on the field. And as I said, in my piece, it's insulting to their intelligence at this point, why can't, it's not like these coaches have proven that they are all world (laughs) schemers and coordinators. And when everything, you know, you do everything they say exactly right. And the results are perfect. That's been far from the case. What do they have to lose? Why are we not giving these guys at least the chance to make some small adjustments, take advantage of things they see, let their instincts do the work, and see what happens? I really think it would be a huge benefactor, and I'm hoping with Zach Wilson back in the lineup that we might start seeing some more of that because Zach Wilson was so great at that at BYU as a quarterback, IDing favorable matchups and exploiting them with good throws. That's what the Jets offense can be if they would just let it be, and I'm really killing me by
0: not seeing it. Yeah, and it's not just offense. It's on defense as well. Uh, everywhere you look, it's just coaches trying to outsmart themselves. Uh, and it's not working. It's not working. and hasn't been working. Uh, I, I, I guess it's worked in San Francisco, but maybe I don't know. Uh, I, I, what What's the difference between San Francisco and now with the same exact concept?
1: I see, and that's the thing. I don't really know what the difference is between San Francisco and now, because as Robert Sala said last year, you go back to the Titans game when CJ Mosley makes an audible on third down, checks them out of a blitz and gets into zone and they get a stop. Sala goes, no linebacker in our system has ever done that before. No one's ever changed a play call. They're not allowed to change play calls. So no one's ever done it. He just did it anyway. And the, the literal Sala's exact words were, You know, we're all screaming on the sidelines, us coaches, and we're yelling at the linebacker coach, and he makes a check and gets us into a perfect call, and we get a sack because the quarterback hitched. And I was like, well, that's why he's an all-pro. Yeah, like, duh, that's the whole point. He can use his brain and his athleticism at the same time to make him a smart athlete. Was Fred Warner not smart in San Francisco either? Was, Was Bobby Wagner not talented enough in Seattle? to to be given a little bit of freedom was Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman not smart enough to be able to adjust at the at the last second and change a call and know their responsibilities? I don't buy that. And so I don't think it's at this point it's it's stubbornness. It's pure stubbornness and it's belief that we as coaches know what we're doing and we are going to get it right. And it solely falls on us to coach these players. And it's kind of like not including the players in the process. And it's kind of like a, you work for us mentality where they're trying to have this, we're all a team. We all have one goal. We're all doing things together. But in reality, it's just the coaches saying you do this. And if it doesn't work, then it's on us. Well, it's not
0: working. So try something different. And something you mentioned is that, these players do have the capability to to see what's going wrong and to fix it. And uh, one instance uh, I was thinking of in, just against the Bengals uh, was how and uh, uh, Williams, uh, that flare-up on the sideline, uh, yelling exactly. at his coaches, hey, just let us do our four-man pressure that we want to do, what we've trained all minicamp and training camp to do. It's in our blood to do this four-man rush and get pressure like that. And he was right to flare up and, and, and yell at his coaches for this. And I guess they listened because they went back to it and they started getting a little bit more pressure. Uh, the they defense really,
1: held up in the second they, half and yeah. they rebounded a lot. They had like four straight three and outs for the Bengals. They they did a better job when they stopped blitzing. And like I said earlier, credit to Jeff Ulbrich where it matters. They did a good job on first and second down of getting into those third and longs.
0: Yeah. I mean, credit for where it's due, but at the same time, they need to get out of their own way. They are crippling these these players uh, by pretty much uh, neutering them in their ability to think uh, for themselves. And I, I, I would love to see a study of of how players that do well in Salah's system do outside when they if they leave his system. If they do better or worse, because I imagine that if they go to a system where all of a sudden they now have to think like a normal football player and react, uh, are they doing this at a worse uh, pace because of how they're trained to do it in his system? You know, that's a
1: really good question, and I'd have to go back and research that to be 100 percent sure. But I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And you know what? I'm actually realizing that players in that system don't go to other systems. They just yeah. either stay on the team they're at, or they go to another team from the same coaching tree that runs the same stuff where the only difference I can think would be Quan Alexander in new Orleans. But even Dennis Allen is four, three at his core zone coverage principles. They aren't as true single high, you know, we're not going to ever blitz or mix in some funky stuff. They get a little more creative than that, but it's not a wildly different scheme outside of Quan Alexander. Richard Sherman went from Seattle to San Francisco, same defense barely played in Tampa. So I don't know if you can even count that Bobby Wagner went to the Rams at the end of his career where, you know, I don't, he's been okay, but is it really, you know, can't really judge him the same way when he's nowhere near the athlete he was when he was younger Earl Thomas played well in Baltimore, but that's another, you know, as a safety, you're more just, he was more single high in cover one versus single high in cover three. It's not that different. I don't, I, Fred Warner's still in San Francisco. You know, I'm yeah. I, Jalen Ramsey who, who's, who was an, an all world caliber quarterback prospect and probably could have played well in any defense. Does that count? Like I, I don't, they don't leave. They don't, they, um, unless you're a, a superstar, they don't go to other systems. So I'm. I'd be curious to really look that up and see if there's anyone I'm forgetting, but, but maybe that's why they don't go to other systems. Maybe because because they know that that's all they know
0: and that's all they've been taught. But now uh, do even these other systems that are similar, do, are they similar in that they don't allow audibles or or play changes?
1: No. And that's the difference is that Demario Davis has a huge factor in the play calling for the New Orleans Saints and making checks and making adjustments and getting their defense into the right calls. And he's basically like a second coach on the field where he can use his eyes and experience to adjust plays. Jets know him very well as a player that they drafted. (laughs) So this is, yeah, no, it's not, it's, this is a, this is where I want to end with this before we get into the Steelers game. Everyone needs to stop associating Robert Sala with Kyle Shanahan and start associating Robert Sala with Pete Carroll, because I don't think Sala learned anything from Shanahan outside of taking his offensive system. In terms of style of coach, in terms of how they operate, in terms of where they put their focus and, and how they are with their players and where they how they handle adversity, he is a carbon copy of Pete Carroll. He is nothing like Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is a drill sergeant. Kyle Shanahan is the type of guy where you better run your, right, run your route the right way, otherwise you're not going to get to run one for another four plays and you're going to be crack blocking on defensive ends as punishment in the meantime. Kyle Shanahan is, we are going to be so meticulous in our study and in our game planning, and I am such a good football mind that regardless of who we're playing, I'm going to have the game plan to get us into the right stuff, and we'll adjust on the fly. Robert Sala is Pete Carroll, and we're going to play hard, we're going to play fast, we're going to have a bunch of athletes, we're going to care about each other, and not that that's bad, I don't want anyone to take that as a bad thing, but it's a different type of mentality in terms of Kyle Shanahan, who is a game planner and Robert Sala, who is a player's coach. Robert Sala is a Pete Carroll clone. And I think we're seeing the effects of
0: that very early. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, I, I could see it for sure. Uh, but now does he have the ability to maybe change into maybe a Shanahan or, or maybe take uh, some qualities of everybody that he's coached under uh, to maybe reform himself into a coach that has a strategy that works instead of being so stubborn. That's what I can hope. Quite honestly, I
1: want nothing more than for Robert Sala to learn to be himself. And I think.
0: Find his own trying, identity. Yeah. Right.
1: Find his own identity. And I think he's trying too hard to stick to what he learned from Pete Carroll because he watched them win a Super Bowl as a young defensive intern there in 2013. And they had a lot of young players that they played in the 2011 and 2012 drafts that eventually led to them being in the Super Bowl in 2013 and starting their run of dominance for so long. He's trying to replicate that. and He fully believes, you know, watching it firsthand that that's how it's going to happen. But the NFL is a hell of a lot different now in 2022 than it was in 2013. And I think there, there has to be like that has to be taken into effect. And Sala has shown based on what we've seen from his time in San Francisco, that he's got other stuff in his bag and he's capable of thinking on the fly. And when he does it, he's pretty dang good at it. And so it's kind of like, a use your own talents. You're, You're hindering your own ability as a coach by locking yourself into your core set of systems Trust your knowledge, trust your ability to teach, trust your ability uh, to show these players what to do, trust these players to learn, trust these players to understand. And I think they will see wonders because right now they just, cake as I brought up on the show before is it's hanging up in the Jets defensive meeting room and the acronym standing for call assignment keys execute. You get the play call. You know what your call is. Go to your assignment. Okay. What's my role? Where am I aligned? Where do I have to figure, you know, on the field? What am I doing keys? What are my keys from the offense? What am I looking for? Formations, any particular personnel changes, strength of the four, you know, alignment, anything like that. And then execute, which is just go do your job. Where's think in that, in that acronym (laughs) it is not there (laughs) yeah where's look you know is it in keys kind of but it's really only the keys that you've been taught to look for where's where's the keys of stuff that you're not expecting where's the keys of stuff that you as a player by yourself picked up on tape by studying another player on offense where have you had pass rushers for instance You can you'll hear all the time like, oh, what did you see on tape that, you know, led to you winning this game? And everyone thinks it's I studied this one move or or, you know, I was timing the snap really well. And it can be something as simple as the pass rusher going, oh, well, every time that that guy sits back on his heels, it's a pass play. And every time he leans forward, it's a run play. So I was able to guess. Where's that? We don't see that from this team whatsoever. And you have to teach your players to think that way. And your veterans have to teach the young players to do it as well. And we're not seeing any of it. And it's really, really it's heart wrenching, quite honestly, is. because you're watching you're watching them waste the talent that they've done in such a good
0: job of acquiring. It's it's sad. It is sad to see. And it's something that really needs to change uh, because it doesn't sound it doesn't look like the team is really buying into it. Uh, I mean, if, if they were, it, it would be working and it's not. I don't even quite honestly, Matt, I
1: I think the team is bought into it. I just think that the steams are archaic and that they work when you get the right call on, you know, from the offense and you get what you like, or conversely, you're playing as Michael floor, you get the right defense and the right look, and you're able to get some, some chunk plays and get some good yardage, but it's not a down to down consistent basis. And the problem for the jets is when they get into wrong place before the snap, they're doomed. There's no like fail safe button to where they can sit there and go, okay, we had this play call. We come out. This is not the defense. We were expecting. This is a bad idea. Let's do something else. That doesn't happen. And you don't need, you don't need, we'll get in now with direct lead with Zach Wilson coming back this week to start against the Steelers. You don't need Zach Wilson to be Peyton Manning going out there and calling his own plays and and drawing everything up. The second he gets to the huddle and saying set hut with one second on the clock, that's not what he has to do. But if Zach Wilson sees a nine-yard cushion on fourth and one, he should be smart enough to take advantage of it and have the freedom to do so.
0: Yeah, uh, I because he has that anticipation. He had that anticipation in, at BYU, uh, and it's something that we didn't see at all with Flacco uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, his ability to anticipate receivers getting open was almost non-existent. Uh, you would see him coming off of progressions very quickly uh, and going on to other ones and really missing wide open receivers because of it. Uh, Now, a lot of that isn't just because of him not being able to do this. It's also a factor that is uh, brought about because of the offensive line and how he's under constant pressure. So he has to speed up his progressions. Uh, everything kind of plays into each other, uh, like you were saying before we started recording. And it's true. And all of that plays a factor. Uh, but now looking ahead to, to Zach and his return, maybe he is able to be more anticipatory uh, and uses his ability to move, to also extend plays. Uh, and these kinds of things mixed together, I feel... Like will just lead to a little bit more success. Uh, the only problem is his accuracy. And it, it that's my biggest worry at this point. Yeah, that's going to be the fear, uh, but I do have hope. And there is one
1: thing that I, I really picked up from, I went back and I watched a lot of Zach Wilson's uh, rookie tape from the last uh, couple of his best games leading up to his return, get an idea in a sense for, you know, what we're expecting coming back. We've seen so much of Joe Flacco and Mike White in the preseason that I kind of forgot what it was like to watch Zach Wilson play quarterback. And the number one thing that jumped out to me after watching Flacco and White for so long and going back to Wilson is that he is so much more nimble and loose in the pocket where Flacco, everyone wants to talk about his pocket awareness, which has not been good. I'm not going to try and defend Flacco's, you know, pocket awareness at all. But another problem that I don't see anyone talking about is just his ability to make those minor movements and shuffles in the pocket to set up throwing lanes where there was a third down. I don't remember exactly when in the game it was, but I remember specifically that it was a third and roughly four or five against the Bengals. And Flacco is throwing a drag route to, I think Garrett Wilson and he's got Garrett Wilson open. If he hits him in stride, he's probably going to be able to catch it and turn and get enough for the first down. And Flacco keeps his feet in cement in the pocket He's got his body facing left at the start of the play in his progression. He moves back to his right to hit Garrett on the drag route, but he never shifts his base and his legs and his lower body with him as he's going through his progressions. His base stays locked in the same way with his body facing left. And so he goes and tries to throw this flat route to Garrett Wilson. He's got his body and his front leg facing left. He's got his back back leg stuck in quicksand, and he throws all arm and the ball skips on its way to Garrett, incompletion, Jets punt. Zach Wilson doesn't do that. Zach Wilson is excellent at resetting his base, keeping his shoulders square, having those little shuffles and movements in the pocket to set up throwing lanes. And even if he doesn't get his feet set, he's got the arm talent to get the ball there anyway. That's where I think you could see a really big improvement. And I think you're going to see the offensive line statistically is going to get better because you're going to have those instances of Zach being able to make one subtle little movement at the last second and get the ball out that Flacco couldn't do. That would lead to coverage sacks. That's not going to happen as much with Zach Wilson on top of the fact that he can spin out and just make plays with his legs and take up chunk plays when defenses give up contain. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how his mobility affects not just getting out and scrambling or evading people for free sacks, but setting up those crucial moments where you need a quarterback to duck his way around a defensive tackle and shift to his left and hit a guy coming over the middle. That's what Joe Burrow did that killed the jets on Sunday. And Zach Wilson has that same type of ability.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another thing is, his quick release Uh, compared to Flacco's elongated uh, throwing motion. I feel like that led to several sacks and and fumbles uh, is just, first not not being able to move his feet like you said and then just kind of winding up like an old machine uh, knocking off the rust uh but yeah zach does not have that problem he's able to move around in the pocket very well he's able to feel pressure very well and then with like i was saying before with uh going through progressions too quickly i feel like his release and motion in the pocket is so so good that it allows them to maybe hang on progressions a little bit more to let those routes develop uh, a little bit more and to exploit these matchups that uh, need to be exploited instead of focusing on uh, check downs or our last progression uh, based off of just what's left and, and feeling the pressure. Uh, I I see a lot of things that could help Zach in this game. uh, And it's just a matter of, is he mentally there? Uh, I think he's physically back, hopefully, uh, so I'm not worried about that as much. Uh, it's all mental.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with him, that it really is all going to come down to to his mental ability, because I, I agree, I think he's perfectly back physically. I don't think the Jets would be playing him if he wasn't 110% healthy and they had no fear that he was had any lingering anything from this injury. That I don't think is the worry. I think the worry is knocking off the rust, adjusting to the speed of the game. You're going against a Steelers defense that has a lot of veterans on it that has had three games of play under their belt to get into a bit of a groove on the road in a tough environment in Pittsburgh. That's going to be a lot. You got an offense that's been struggling, an offensive line that's been a a turnstile of various people throughout the offseason. And, you know, that's not going to help either. But the one thing for Zach that really stuck out to me, I watched his press conference that he had. I think it came out yesterday night. Um, He sounds so excited to play. He looks absolutely thrilled. He doesn't feel there's not an ounce of hesitation in him. I didn't get the sense at all of I'm coming back, but, you know, I'm worried about making sure I do everything right, or I'm worried about my knee being stable. He was just like, I'm just excited to go play. I just miss playing. (laughs) And I think getting a loose sack Wilson is the best thing that could happen.
0: Oh, absolutely. Remember pre-draft when people are like, Oh, he's a rich kid. He doesn't really care about football. No, this kid loves football. He loves going out there and playing with his teammates. Uh, And most of all, he enjoys winning. (laughs) This is a kid. He's a competitor. He's young uh, and he's, He's uh, ferocious in what he wants to be, and that's a successful quarterback in the NFL, and he's got all the tools to do it. It's just about putting them all together.
1: Yeah, it really is, and that's why I think for him, as we said all offseason, be yourself. We don't want you to be a robot. We don't want you to be Jimmy Garoppolo, go through the progressions, get to the check down, next play, yada, yada. We want you to be the athlete and the explosive playmaker that you are. Take advantage when you have a good look to the outside, when you know that you can beat a DB with your arm. Take advantage when you get pressure and you're able to get out of the pocket and stay in bounds and make someone miss for a 50-yard touchdown. That's what we want. Those are what the best teams in the NFL have at quarterback. They don't have game managers. They have superstars. You don't win a Super Bowl in today's NFL without a superstar quarterback. You don't. It's dang near impossible. The Rams just proved it. That's what they need Zach Wilson to be. They need Zach Wilson to use his talent and use all of his ability as much as he can. At the same time, they still need him to be efficient and they still need him to execute the plays as they're designed and get the ball into the hands of these uh, playmakers they have in space because they can do so much damage too. It doesn't all have to be on Zach Wilson. So I think for him, come out, play loose, be excited to throw to all this talent you have at receiver. You've seen, you know, what this offense can be when it's done right. You've seen what to do and what not to do in a lot of different ways over the first three weeks. And you have your own film to grow on from last year. I think having him excited to play and just ready to go out and be loose and be himself. I think I'm getting the same sort of feeling that I got from Darnold's uh, return in 2019 when they played Dallas. Mm. And it was well, I haven't got to play. I was all excited for this season. I'm going to come back. Our starter's back and screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And Chuck's a 92-yard touchdown to Robbie, uh, Robbie Anderson over the middle of the field. The Jets go on to beat the Cowboys. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting with Zach Wilson coming back. It's the, we're not worried about his health and I'm just so happy to be playing. I'm sure Wilson himself was worried he probably was going to miss the whole year. And so oh, for absolutely. him, having the opportunity to come back healthy in week four is probably a blessing. And he's just, Overly, you know, excited just to get on the field again.
0: So let's just focus now on the matchup at hand. What does this matchup look like against Pittsburgh? Uh, from what I see, for what I've seen the, the last couple of weeks, is a team that's missing their their heartbeat, which is TJ Watt. Uh so their pressure scheme is not going to be what it could be at its at its peak. I think this is huge, and not just for our offensive line, but for Zach as well. How, yeah, even though we ha- might have McDermott uh, at left tackle going up against Alex Highsmith, uh, I still think that going up against this defensive line without DJ Watt is such a, a privilege. And, and we kind of lucked out in how we're not going to be facing him. And I think that Zach will be able to maneuver around Uh, what pressure does come and exploit this uh, secondary who I think doesn't want to man up with our receivers. I think they thrive in zone more, more so than, than man coverage. Um, uh, Did did, uh, Cincinnati mostly play zone or or man against us? A lot of zone. A lot of zone. It was a lot of zone. So, uh, and I feel like that kind of neutralized us a good amount. Uh, especially when uh, Wilson went out uh, with an injury. Uh, I, I feel like uh, they really had our number in coverage. So I s- kind of see that m- being mimicked by Pittsburgh this week. Uh, y- who do you have there? You- you've got uh, Cameron Sutton, uh, Aguila Weatherspoon, Levi Wallace, Arthur Millett. Uh, and Hey, I know I, him. I know that guy. His name sounds familiar. Uh, I, I look at their, their numbers in, in man coverage and it's not spectacular. So I, but then compared to their, their zone numbers, uh, they, those definitely stick out a little bit more. Uh, so I, I imagine they're going to do the same. They're going to come out zone heavy, uh, and they're going to try to get as much pressure as they can with Hayward and Highsmith and, uh, try to get Zach to make mistakes.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the game plan and make no mistake about it. Mike Tomlin is an excellent, excellent head coach, and this is not going to be an easy task. This is far from the first rookie quarter or not rookie quarterback. Zach Wilson's in year two, but he's only going to be playing. I think it's his 14th career game. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, still technically in games enough to be in his rookie season experience wise. Mike Tomlin's no, no rookie himself. He's plenty of a veteran. In my opinion, he's one of the five best coaches in the league. I have nothing but the utmost respect in the world for Mike Tomlin. I think he's an excellent coach. I think his players respond to him and always play hard. And the Steelers can be decimated by injuries, have cap restraints up the wazoo, miss on draft picks, and they go eight, seven and nine, seven and ten at worst every single year, if not in the playoffs. That's a credit to Mike Tomlin. That's credit to the type of coach that he is and the foundation that he has built as a team. When it comes to how they're going to play Zach Wilson, Mike Tomlin is going to have a big hand in this because Mike Tomlin is a defensive coach. And Mike Tomlin specifically got a lot of his best knowledge and experience from the Tampa Bay Bucks in the early 2000s, the Tampa two Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's where he has a lot of his core philosophies is in those zone defenses, potentially some zone pressures along with it. That's where they really are at home. And so if the Jets can back them out of that zone coverage, then I think you have an opportunity to really do something on offense because you're right. These corners aren't the best in man. They aren't the best period. And Minka Fitzpatrick is questionable with concussion. If Minka He's can't practicing play, well. is he? Okay. So that's good to see for Pittsburgh, but a potentially weakened Minka is still less than a full strength Minka you have to find a way to get them out of zone because what they're going to do if they, if you don't is they're going to bait Minka over the middle as a robber and they're going to try and let him steal some picks and get some pick sixes. You have to back them into man coverage, keep Minka in the center of the field deep as a patrolling free safety and see if you can win some matchups on the outside. So my first thought would be if they're going to be playing all of this zone and they're going to likely not be pressing and giving the same sort of cushion. It's the same thing like the fourth and one against the Bengals game, hit them with quick outs in the quick game and quick game until they are forced to get out of it. If that's how you're going to win, then that's how you're going to win. Put Garrett Wilson on, you know, some on the outside, let him run a smoke route, catch the ball, get seven yards on first down there. That's a run play to me. That's, you know, you can't run block. You're worried about your ability to run block and if you you can't get into favorable, this is actually a point I've been waiting to save this for the pod, Matt. I'm glad I was uh, led here. I almost forgot a point as to going back to uh, first and down defense for the Jets. I should have said this then, but a big reason that I heard Robert Sala say a little bit ago in a presser that he had never said before. And it was one of those things where it's like, if you just said this from the start, it would have made a lot more sense and people probably wouldn't be questioning you. He was talking about how on early downs, you get a lot more run calls and zone defense allows you to be more even in the run fit because you don't have to be manned over receivers. And so if you're playing a cover three zone, for instance, and you have that extra safety in the box, that's going to help you in the run game on early downs and allow you to adjust your fit to where you can have an extra man in play and you can attack different gaps than if you're playing man coverage or you're playing some sort of, you know, too high defense and you have guys backed off, then you're changing the run fit on top of that. You got to have less guys handle more blockers on defense. That's a really good point. And I think Mike Tomlin on defense is going to know that as well. And you're going to see a lot of zone early from the the Steelers on defense because they're going to try and stop the run game. They know the Jets are going to want to establish the run. And if that's what you get, then I think you just play quick game. If they're going to back off and they're going to give you the underneath, then call some play action screens. Let's hit tight end screens to Conklin. Let's hit quick outs to Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. Let's hit Braxton Berrios on the bubble. If you give him some blockers out and out in front, I think you can get some easy plays in the short yardage game. And then once the Steelers man up, you take it over to the top.
0: Yeah. I, I want to see them flood the zones. Uh, and one thing I've noticed that we haven't done yet the season. I don't think at all is running jet motion with more uh, getting him in some space uh, to run the ball. Uh, I think we've seen it a few times at Barrios, uh, but not more. I wonder if, there's a good reason for that. Uh does he look a little slower this year? This was a point
1: that I I was thinking of bringing up but I wasn't quite sure if I would, but you know what, since you brought it up, I'll go into it. I think he is slower. And I think it's cuz he got bigger. He put on like 20 pounds of muscle in the off season. He bulked up from like 180 to roughly like 195-196 and you can tell just by looking at him. He looks a lot bigger. It looks a lot thicker and stronger. And that's great. You want him to be able to take the punishment of the NFL game. It's a long season, your receiver, you're going to get hit a lot and you don't want to miss time with injuries. You want to be able to, to play through the season, but I think it's hurting his explosiveness. And I think it's, it, it's limiting that extra gear that he had where once he got going after his third step, he could tap into it and still keep accelerating. And I really think that he's he's getting capped by guys he shouldn't be getting capped by. He, he's getting, you know, tracked by guys that have no business tracking him on a normal basis. And I think that's why. So I think that's why you're seeing, I also think they trust Barrios more with the ball in his hands. Cause I think he's just more natural with it. I think he sees mm. angles better. I think he's better at breaking tackles. I think he cuts quicker with the ball in his hands where he had a jet sweep against Cleveland. If you remember that went for like 15 yards and only Braxton Barrios gets 15 yards in that scenario with how he was able to turn the corner and slice between the small crease of the blocking that he had to the front side. So I think would I like to see more get the ball in his hands. Absolutely. I'm not, saying anything against that but I don't know if it necessarily has to be the bubble sweeps where it's all about speed why not line him up at running back why not like he did that at Ole Miss yeah. why not line him up at running running back and let him run an angle route like Brees Hall does get him on matched up with a linebacker or you line him up and running back to start and then you motion him out to empty and now you get him one-on-one outside with that linebacker let's see more things like that and it's like I was going to before Matt it's matchups It's do more to get your players favorable matchups that they can win more so than just the way the jets do it with motions against zone coverage, where they do all the time where they'll start with a spread set and they'll motion somebody into a slot when they know they got zone coming and it gives them, you know, outside leverage on, on that zone corner. If they, then they run the dig route to the inside and it's wide open. The jets do that all the time. That's exploiting a matchup to give your guys a favorable look. Let's do that more than just attacking zone coverage.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just like in general for LaFleur to just get a little bit more creative, uh, throw some wrinkles out there uh, that we haven't seen yet. Uh, Now's the time to do it. We desperately need uh, some momentum. And uh, I'd I'd love for it to come with Zach's return. Uh, Let's, you know, let's show a little bit more uh, because we have a little bit more to offer. This uh, team is full of talent that may or may not be uh, used to their fullest potential. Uh, And it would be nice to just see uh, something that's different because a lot of what we've seen so far is a lot of the same. Uh, And it seemed like the Bengals kind of caught on to it and they uh, were a little bit more prepared for it because, well, we haven't really changed that much. Uh, So, yeah, just a little bit more creativity for me. Uh, And how about the defense? What, what what are you seeing on the defense?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's room to be hopeful for the defense. I really do, because I think you're going to see a bit different of a game plan than last week, where with Mitchell Trubisky likely starting at quarterback for the Steelers. I haven't seen anything that suggests that they're planning on playing anybody else. It's going to be a different situation where fooling him won't be as hard. And so I think you can get away with some of your trap calls, like they tried on third down against the Bengals and you can get away with some of your blitzes because he's not as good at pressure and he's going to hesitate. That said, I don't think you need to do it as much because I think the Steelers offensive line for one is awful and has been all year, just like the Bengals line was to be fair. But I still think the jets did a good job in the run game, shutting things down and they had opportunities on third and long Burrow, just avoided the pressure. I think that changes against the Steelers. I think Mitch Trubisky is is light years away from Joe Burrow as a quarterback in mm-hmm. both reading pressure, attacking downfield, accuracy, arm talent, all of it. The only thing you got to worry with him is him breaking tackles, getting out, and making plays with his legs. So that's where I think again it goes back to let's not blitz as much and let's play more zone. I, I really think that they're early down let's try and show cover two and and morph into a zone at the end and switch. I think there's, there's some things to that. And I really think that that can be something that grows as the season goes on, just disguise and and run some safety rotations, get Mitch thinking for that extra second. And if this isn't the game for your four man rush to get home, then I don't know what game will
0: be. Yeah. uh, Pressure is key in general for this defense. Uh, And we haven't really been, I've been seeing the pressure that we kind of expected uh, from this uh, defensive uh, front. Uh, we saw the guys that they acquired uh, in the offseason, as well as Lawson coming back. Uh, and we expected a lot more. Uh, this uh, the, the, the pressure from this this group is just not where we need it to be. Uh, and one surprising name that we haven't seen out there or even dressed is is Huff. Why do you think he's not really getting a chance? I don't
1: know, because the answer for the first two games was that the Jets were playing more run oriented teams with big, tough offensive lines and that they wanted more bigger bodies in to help stop the run, which, which to be sense. fair, right, which to be fair, made sense that none of that was untrue. And what we saw in both of those games is that the run games were a critical factor. And if the Jets didn't do as good of a job as they did stopping the run, it would have been a huge, huge problem. I have no answer for him not being active against the Bengals. I, why was in, in God's green earth was Nathan Shepard activated over Bryce Huff in that scenario? I can't answer that. So I'm, I don't know what happened. I do know that I think they very much like f- at least four, probably five of their defensive ends that play uh, that we've seen over the first three weeks being the four being Lawson, JFM, Michael Clemens, and JJ, Jermaine Johnson. I think Jacob Martin is playing more than he needs to be. And I think that's what's keeping Huff out of the lineup is that they don't want to have six defensive ends active, especially that's since high. Clemens and JFM also kind of do inside outside stuff. It's really four defensive ends and two hybrids. So you remember when we were talking about Matt, where if Cager is a wide receiver and a tight end, he counts for both. I think that's kind of how they view Clemens and JFM. Yeah. So on top of that, There's, you know, five players right there. You got Quinnen Williams, Sheldon Rankin, Solomon Thomas. That's another three more. That's eight. They only have, I think, 11 on on their active roster uh, total. So there's going to be some guys that end up being inactive. I just think it needs to be, you know, make Shepard inactive, trust your other guys on the interior, or let JFM or Clemens play on the interior and get Huff on the
0: edge. Yeah, I I think that's a lot more of what I want to see. I want to see more JFM on on the inside, uh, even some Clemens. Uh, And maybe even just rotate Martin uh, out and uh, bring Huff in. Uh, Because I I just think that, I mean, I know Martin has that speed uh, to be electric on the outside. Uh, But from what we saw from Huff last year, I think he was towards the top of the league in win percentage. He was. uh, Until he got injured. Uh, I would really like to see him out there and showing that electricity again Uh, because I saw it back when he was at Memphis and it followed him to the, to the pros. Uh, I thought he had a talent that was worth fostering uh, and worth showing, showcasing out in actual games. Uh, So yeah, push those guys inside. Shepard doesn't do anything for us. It's it's, It's a waste. It's a waste
1: of an active roster spot.
0: Exactly. I, I know we like to rotate a lot, which is a, another discussion uh, that everybody is up in arms with almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. yeah we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, it, it rotate those guys in, you don't need shepherd.
1: No, you don't need shepherd. And for how well, let, let me remind people as, as I know you are, are, you know, very well, Matt, how well Bryce Huff played last year where before he had his back injury. Like you're saying, he was top five in the league in pass rush win rate uh, at, from defensive ends. He was absolutely whipping people go back and listen to the game recap from, I'm pretty sure it was week four against the Tennessee Titans of last year. I said, he was reminding me of Dwight Freeney with the way he was coming off the edge with how low he was able to bend with how tight he was turning his corners with the way he was using that little ghost move and that up and under swim with his arm. It, I was felt like I was watching a Colts game from 2007 and that's the type of guy you have on the edge. Jacob Martin is, you know, got speed. He can get around the corner too. You know, I thought he was an underrated player in Houston that is going to be in a good system. fit here, he just hasn't played well so far. You got to give this guy the, the, an opportunity. If for as talented as we know he is and for being as healthy as we think he is now,
0: there's no reason for him not to be on the field. It's inexcusable. It really isn't. I, I completely agree. Uh, it, it's worth exploring. I mean, at this point, what, what do you have to lose, really?
1: Right. Yeah. Now, what do you have to lose? And especially against a team like Pittsburgh, yes, they're going to try and be more run oriented. And they have a very talented running back in Najee Harris. Nothing against him. I would, you know, welcome Najee Harris on any one of my football teams every day of the week. But he hasn't been that effective because their line has been so bad. And the Jets have done a really good job stopping the run so far this year, which I don't think many people anticipated. I don't think you need the bigger body to stop the Steelers offense and stop their run game. I think you can still, you know, get away with stopping the run without having, you know, a Nathan Shepard active. And you know why, Matt? Because they usually just play nickel defense anyway and only have four linemen. So, yep. if you're going to have two defensive ends and two defensive tackles and you don't make Shepard active, then rotate Clemens and JF- JFM as the other guy inside. But then that's how you solve that problem. And then that spot on the edge, but they're not playing, that's where Bryce Huff goes. What's the difference at a four-man line of Jermaine Johnson, uh, Solomon Thomas, Nathan Shepard, and Michael Clemens, or a four-man line of Jermaine Johnson, Solomon Thomas, Michael Clemens, and Bryce Hoff? I I don't think that your run-stopping is going to be absolutely crushed with that difference.
0: No. No, not at all. And especially if he's just filling in for Martin. Martin was really only in on... Obvious passing downs, anyways. Right, which is where
1: Huff should be playing too. Exactly. exactly. Which is, which is you can make him active and he doesn't have to play every
0: snap. No. I mean, the whole, the whole benefit of this rotation that they play is to keep people fresh. So it's not like he won't see time. And it's more uh, along the lines of you have to face Clemens, you have to face JJ, you have to face Lawson all game, JFM. And then now you have fresh legs like Huff coming in that's that's the benefit of this system so and his legs are electric like i've said so put them on the field put them
1: in and you know what else on top of that matt it keeps offensive linemen on their toes where if you're a, an offensive tackle and on one play you're going against someone like michael clemens who's six 270 pounds super long arms strong as heck going to run right through your face and then let you know about it afterwards and then three plays later you're having to match Bryce Huff's speed around the corner that's a heck of a lot to go through in one game that's a heck of a lot to be prepared for and you gotta you know the pacing and the timing of your drop and the the spacing of the plays you mess up the slightest bit where you know you don't anchor strong enough against Clemens because you're used to blocking Huff well he's going to knock you on your butt or you don't trust Huff's speed to the edge because you're used to anchoring for Clemens Huff's going to go right around you that's really tough to do as an offensive lineman. And it's another way, like, I think the entire theme of this episode has been, Matt, make things easier for your players and put them in better matchups. It's not mm-hmm. that hard.
0: Yeah, it's not that hard. Just, it, you just have really to do isn't. it. <laughs> just commit no, to you it. You just
1: have to have a conceded effort to do it and not just have a blind trust in your scheme and your play calls that already exists that they're going to get the job done. Every week in the NFL is different. And I feel like the Jets treat every week like they're playing the same opponent.
0: I was just looking at something It doesn't look like the Pittsburgh offensive line has given up a single sack. Is that right?
1: I would have to go back and check that specifically. Uh, I do know that they've had a lot of struggles run blocking, and I do know that their passing game has been not effective, but due to a combination of Matt Canada being a bad offensive coordinator and Mitch Trubisky not being a good quarterback. It hasn't necessarily been like they're surrendering a ton of sacks. I do know they're giving up a ton of pressures. And I do know that their run game has been close to non-existent, and yeah. just from the few Steelers fans that I follow and keep up with, that has been the resounding uh, arguments from Steelers fans: is the offensive line isn't good, Canada's a terrible OC, and Mitch isn't doing them any
0: favors. Yeah, I, I believe uh, Najee's. Uh, I think averaging around three uh, yards uh, a, a carry, which is yeah. and he's way more talented. He's way more talented than Mixon like was. So, yeah, that that's definitely where we're I, I, if we can force them to run the ball, I think that's a win.
1: I think so, too. And I think this is, you know, a good uh, a good point to make as we transition more into the defense. I think that there's a secret, scary, scary, scary matchup for the Jets here, and it's George Pickens on Sauce Gardner. Because physical nightmare,
0: that's a physical nightmare,
1: right? You want to talk about a street fight. That's going to be a street fight. It's it's pay-per-view, you know, viewing for, for NFL fans. That said, in terms of scouting this game for the jets, I think George Pickens is one of the few guys that sauce Gardner matches up really poorly against. He's got all the size to match him from a physicality standpoint. He's got all the aggression, to match him from a physicality standpoint. He's got vertical speed. He's got vertical leaping ability. He's got long arms himself. And he's still quick and fluid enough to make sharp cuts and be an effective route runner. I think this is the type of guy that Sauce could struggle with. And I think if there's anybody that's going to be a young player that's not a, a young superstar in the league that's going to really give Sauce Gardner trouble, I think it could be someone like George Pickens. Just because of, you know, I feel like they're, they're two equals going at it. Where if you're playing Jamar Chase, Sauce Gardner has three inches on Jamar Chase. He's got, you know, two and a half inches of length on Jamar Chase. While just, you know, Chase is probably faster and quicker, but not by a ton. And we saw from Sauce, he was able to keep up and use his frame to kind of shield out. He got tested deep on one throw and just using his uh, long arms and long body as a whole was able to deflect the pass. George Pickens, we saw Thursday night, can be falling on his back, twisting sideline the other way, stick one arm out behind him, and still make the grab. That that scares me. So yeah. I'm. So yeah, I think you want to force them
0: to run the ball because, quite honestly, I'm more scared of George Pickens right now than I am of Najee Harris. Yep, same. Uh, another bad matchup. I think is Claypool against Michael Carter. Claypool <laughs> yeah. or Reed being being as tall as he is. We saw T Higgins moss DJ Reed on a third down on the opening drive of the game. I mean, yeah, Reed plays bigger than he is, but that's still that's a that's a hard ass to five cover. inches. Like a, a,
1: right. Yeah. A five inch difference is still a five inch difference. Uh,
0: I think Reed against Johnson is probably a better matchup. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I think Claypool has been playing more in the slot this year. Uh And then you got uh, a Pat Fairmouth as well, the tight end, who I think is going to carve up the middle of our, our defense. Uh, So yeah, we really need to focus more on their passing game than their running game. I'm not very worried about Najee Harris. It's these matchups that worry me. Yeah. If
1: like we were saying last week, uh, I said this on believe in jets with Mont Jordan. I'm pretty sure I said it on this show as well. If the, Playing the Bengals, if Joe Mixon beats you, then you tried your best. You know, if, if Joe Mixon had 700 catches a game, uh, you know, 70 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns, and, and, you know, 70 yards rushing or something on top of that, and had this big monster game in and that and that one, you tried your best if you he was the focal point of stopping the game. You know, you don't let Mixon beat you. If he still beats you and you tried, then you tried. Looking at it with this game, it's don't let Pickens and Claypool and Deontay Johnson beat you. Don't let the Steelers passing game beat you. If Najee Harris, if the Steelers offensive line has their, their wake-up game and Najee Harris rushes for 150 and two scores and the Jets lose, then oh well, Th- then then you tried your best. I think this is a much more demoralizing loss if Mitchell Trubisky's throwing for 285 and three scores. Yeah, that's just a
0: general thing I want to see from this Jets defense. I want to start to see them take out the strongest asset of offenses. Uh, like last week, Bengals pass a game. If they could do that, great. They did. Uh, If they can do that this week against Pittsburgh, great. We'll see. Uh, I I don't know how hopeful I am, though.
1: No, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm particularly hopeful. With the way the pass rush has played, and I think that's why we're also so desperate to get Huff on the field is because we're desperate for anybody that consistently can win that's not named Quinn and Williams. I I really think that that's what's making this harder because if Mitch has time to throw – and he can exploit one-on-ones to Pickens or Claypool or Deontay Johnson, then that's going to make things harder and no corner can cover forever. So I'm this game, like most games for the Jets, is won and lost up front. If they can block on offense uh, early, if they can play quick game, give Zach Wilson time to get quick throws out of his hands, get the ball in space to their players on some screens and let them run, pick up some chunk yards and force the Steelers into man coverage, I think the Jets will play really well on offense. Defensively, if they can get pressure on Trubisky, if they can force coverage on the back end, um, they can take away the passing game by getting home on the quarterback and they can make it a one-dimensional game where the Steelers have to run the ball. I think that's going to be really good for them. If the Steelers can pass block and the Jets are getting killed up front, it's not going to be a fun day.
0: All right. How about predictions? Shall we do some predictions? Yeah, why don't you start? I'm still kind of feeling myself out. All right. Well. I don't know. Last week uh we were a little bit maybe too hopeful and uh we got disappointed. Uh I think we both uh, had the winning last week. Uh this week uh going we're going to Pittsburgh uh even though we played pretty well uh, in in Cleveland. Well, well, I mean for at least the the final 2 minutes. Uh I I I just don't like our matchups uh too much. On, on defense, I think our defense is, once again, going to get picked apart. Uh, I, I'm i going to say we keep it a little closer than, than the Bengals game. Uh, but I think, I, I still don't think we're going to be able to, to pull it out. I'm going to say 28-20 Pittsburgh. Okay. Okay. Uh, I literally
1: just decided this right now as we're uh, going through this and after everything that we've talked about breaking down this game. And I'm going to be honest. I think I like this matchup better for the Steelers than I do for the Jets. And I'm really worried about the Jets offensive line right now. Mitchell played a lot better. I just praising him and he deserved it. But Lakin Tomlinson is outright stealing money from Woody Johnson so far. I have no idea who their left tackle is going to be. Connor McGovern hasn't played well. And the Steelers have a very, very strong interior of Connor Hayward, Montrevious Adams and Larry Ogunjobi. That scares me. I'm not so much worried about Pittsburgh's defense. I am very, very happy TJ Watt is not playing. Mm -hmm. I think that is a big help. I think if Minka does miss the game that's going to be huge if he doesn't miss the game but he's still recovering i think that'll be a help if he is playing and he's at full strength then that's a problem i'm also worried about alex highsmith their other outside linebacker who i think has been quietly a very very good pass rusher for them in relief of tj watt and i think that if he gets matched up on our left tackle that this could get ugly yeah (laughs) on the other side of the ball i think this is the george pickens breakout game I think it started Thursday night. I think Pickens got some spotlight. I think he was, you know, underrated going through the draft process because of his injury. If you remember Matt, we loved him coming out. We were shouting for, you know, potentially taking him at the top of the second round. If he was there and the Jets ended up going Garrett Wilson at 10, so they didn't need receivers anymore, but you know, we were all on board with him and I still am. I think this is just the type of guy sauce Gardner doesn't want to see guys like George Pickens guys like a DK Metcalf, guys like a Cortland Sutton, those sort of just freak athletes on the outside that can win with speed, size, aggression, physicality, leaping ability, and just any way they want to really. I really think those are the guys that that'll give sauce some trouble. Yeah. That said, I don't trust Mitchell Trubisky to win this game. And I don't, and I don't trust Steelers offensive line to win this game. So I think this is going to be a matchup where the Jets get down early. I think it's going to be Jets trailing by seven or 10 points through most of the game. And it's going to get into the fourth quarter and the Jets defense is going to force a turnover on Trubisky and Zach Wilson's going to wake up. And I'm betting that the Jets will take a late lead and that they're going to walk out of Pittsburgh 21, 20 with a win. Barely.
0: And the only
1: reason I am saying that is because I think the second Zach Wilson gets into a fourth quarter, got to win it situation on the road, coming back from the injury, getting the chance that he's been waiting for for so long. I think it's going to be, this is exactly what I wanted. I can't wait for this. Let's go out and do it. And he's going to be on fire. And you're going to see, I think you're going to see Zach Wilson be rusty early in the game. And as we saw last year. As the game gets on, he gets more into a rhythm. He gets more comfortable, and I think fourth quarter Zach is going to rip the Steelers up.
0: Okay, all right. Well, yeah, some differing opinions. One of us is going to be right, at least one of us.
1: Finally, we differ. It's taken four weeks, <laughs> and and I legit, I really thought about about predicting a Steelers win. I really did, just because you know Pittsburgh is such a tough environment on the road. Mike Tomlin's such a smart head coach. Always keeps his team prepared. Always keeps his team ready uh you know they're handled losses before and overcome it they have they're coming on a long week after playing on thursday night they get extra time to prepare there's a lot going right for the steelers in this matchup i just think that when it comes down to it when the game is on the line for teams that are relatively closely matched up wise talent uh, from a talent perspective i think it comes down to quarterback and i want zach wilson more than i want your all right i'm into it well that does it for us this week thank you everybody so much for listening uh, going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be very, very entertaining overall. I'm not expecting a complete and total dumpster fire from the Jets, if that's what we see. Then I think we're going to start having some seats getting warm a little early in this year. Mm-hmm. But overall, let's just be happy that our quarterback is healthy. Let's be happy that he seems, by all indications, fully ready to go and fully excited to get back on the field. Let's be happy that Quincy Williams, who apparently suffered only a sprained ankle, somehow... Yeah, Crazy. Is, <laughs> is, air-casted. Be, right. Yeah. Gets air casted and carted off the field, and he only has a sprained ankle. Then, you know, huge congratulations to Quincy, praying for his recovery as fast as he can get back. Very, very happy for him that it wasn't more serious. And let's be happy that we still got a lot of the season left. I, just, I try and do this every year. You get through the season, you get through a couple of weeks. It'll happen after this week again, where week four ends and you go, dang, it's already a quarter of the way over. It feels like it just started. So let's all try and revel in this season while it's still here before we get to, you know, March before we know it. And we're begging for something new to talk about. Matt, any parting shots for you before we get out of here?
0: Yeah, uh, let's see. I think Goldberg just uh, said something along the lines of, hey, uh, this defense is still figuring itself out. Uh, compared it to New England and how sometimes the, they don't figure themselves out till week eight. So it's all a work in progress. Uh, hopefully, everything progresses just a little bit more this week, and we see some kind of improvement. Yeah, that's all you can hope for is steady improvement
1: from where this team started. You know, uh, December of 2020 when Adam Gase was in his last days as head coach to where they are now. It's they had a long way to go, they've come a long way and they still have a long way to finish. But that's what you do you try and keep improving and keep looking forward. Thank you guys again so much for listening. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17 on Twitter. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast, and you can find Mr. Matt over there at Zazzy Jets. Thank you again, and we will be back next week to review the Steelers game and look ahead to week five against the Miami Dolphins. Bye bye.